Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Possibly the best game of the Premier League season as Liverpool and Manchester City in a four-goal thriller. We got big giants like Real Madrid, Barcelona with a terrible weekend. Bayern Munich as well. What is happening in the world of soccer and football? We got Jimmy Conrad. We got Heath Pierce. Weekend recap. Kego Lasso begins right now. Hey everybody, welcome to Kegolasso, our weekend recap. If you're watching on YouTube, thank you so much. We are live, meaning that you can leave your comments, your grievances, and make sure that you write them and type them so we can read them on the screen and hopefully answer your questions. Please be kind to us. We're kind to you. Be kind to us, but let's let's get into it. We got Heath Beers and Jimmy Connor. We're going to talk about the Premier League, of course, and much, 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 much more. Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher as well. First of all, Heath Beers, how are you, bud? Hey, I'm good. You know what I was thinking when you were doing that intro again? You what? get me real hyped when you do these. It's, it reminded me of Grand Theft Auto where you can change <laughs> the stations, you know, and you go into the next station. It's like, shh, 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 shh. hey, welcome, everybody. And you can leave it on that station. That's what it reminded me of, man. Like, that is like that was a, that was well delivered. Hey, I take it as a massive compliment, HP. Jimmy Conrad, what's up, man? Listen, I know there's some incredible storylines to dive into today, but I just want to mention that my youngest daughter's U10 rec team Beat the first place team today, two to one. Let's Hell go! The, yeah, let's go! Fucking haters, I see you out there. You went down. Hey, okay? hey, real- they're, they're like the PSG of under ten rec girls teams, and they just went down. Okay, I took them down because my team fought a little bit harder, just like Ren did. Yeah, like that tie-in. Go on, Heath. What are you? Gonna I was, say? Gonna, I was gonna say, do 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 they still do the thing where in the tournament, if you beat the best team in the tournament and you, but you don't win the tournament, you still sort of won the tournament. You know, like if you. If you knock out, like if you play the best team in the group stages and you beat them and they go on to win it, you kind of like, yeah, well, we beat the team that ended up winning the tournament. That's mm. a, that was always the silver lining for my youth teams. That sounds like you're you're an FC Sheriff fan. And if Real Madrid <laughs> going to win the Champions League, Sheriff are going to be considered the best team. Hey, I will say, go back. I wrote the copy for that Sheriff game. If you go and read the copy that was on the lower third in that game, uh, I we predicted that there's a new Sheriff in town. We used the joke before anybody else did. Just, you know, go check it out. Before anybody else, I'll take yeah. it. I'll take it. I'll absolutely take it. Jimmy, did you get in a fight with a soccer mom as well on your forehead as well? I'm seeing like I know that the Listen, other fans won, but no, I, I I'm still going through puberty. Everybody, I've got a big giant pimple that I didn't let actually. I, I just can't let it fester. I had to go grab it and try to squeeze it out. It doesn't. You know what? This is a different conversation. <laughs> <laughs> You're still a handsome man, and so I are these two. Hey, welcome to the weekend recap. As we mentioned, please leave a comment. And we begin with Liverpool, Man City. But listen, I want to talk about this straight off the bat. I lay off a poll on Twitter. Kegolasso Twitter pod as well retweeted it. I really wanted to get into it straight away, and we can talk about the game afterwards, of course. But this is the question I begin, uh, boys, because honestly, it was just magic what I saw today from the Egyptian king, Mohamed Salah. Simple question. Is he the best player in the world, Jimmy Conrad? I'm going to say with the short answer, yes. I, I think that it'd be hard to find somebody who's been as influential as him and as consistent that even if the team isn't firing at all cylinders for Liverpool, 
he still finds a way to make a difference, whether it's with a pass or whether it's with like some scintillating run through five defenders to, to tuck it home like he did today. Uh, the guy is is incredible right now. And really, I don't know if he gets enough credit for how consistent he's been over the last few years, even when Liverpool didn't have their best season. He was still a guy putting up some good numbers. Yeah, I would. I would. I mean, at, at the current in terms of current form, and it's hard to build like that window of time because you, you start to kind of add you start to allow other strikers into that conversation. But currently, yes, if you saw in that match and I know we're going to talk about it more in detail. But as Jimmy mentioned, there were periods where he doesn't have much of an impact where Man City started so settled into the game after the first 20 minutes or so mm-hmm. and looked very, very good. And you go, man, you expect more from this Liverpool team that's the most informed attacking team in the world right now. And then it happens. One chance, two chances, and he can just destroy defenses, his touches, just the intent of his play is unbelievable. So I would say currently at this exact moment, best best uh, striker in the world. That's what I. That's the reason why I brought up the poll, everybody. I wanted to get everybody's opinion. And as you can see from the poll, it's still going. It's very, very tight. Some people are saying no. Some people are saying yes. I just think this. Quickest player to reach 100 uh, goals in the Premier League. Okay, that's over the course of his career in the Premier League. Of course, that's one thing. But right now, he leads the uh, the Premier League with six goals, three assists. But it's to your points as well. Today, it wasn't just the goal, which to me is a goal of the season contender in any league. Absolutely ridiculous what he did. Uh, you know, turning Bernardo Silva one way, then entering the box. But the assist to Sadio Mane as well. You know, I just think that consistently speaking right now, at this moment, I don't think there is a better play than Mohamed Salah. There's an argument, Karim Benzema, Robert Lewandowski, Erlen Haaland. We can talk about all these players. Really quick, just for context, Elamie, I'm only interrupting just because I want to say, do you think results have to run concurrently with being considered the best player in the world? Because Karim Benzema obviously could be in the conversation, but Madrid are coming off a terrible week where they only got one result, which was a draw against Villarreal to start it, lost to Sheriff, and then they lost to Espanyol for only the second time in 25 years, which is unacceptable. So... Yes, you can make a shot for him, but I think Mo Salah, and because Liverpool are giving positive results, I think that matters. So maybe yep. somebody from Napoli deserves a shout as well. I'm not sure, but no, maybe, maybe. I just, I, don't know. I just lost midweek. I don't know. In terms of the fact that the, Liverpool remains the uh, the undefeated team in the Premier League, they obviously are still they're second right now to Chelsea in the table. But it's what Mohamed Salah continues to do, uh, mm-hmm, especially mm-hmm. from the turnaround of the season. It's my opinion, but to your point. If you think there's another argument with somebody else, we would love to hear from you. Tell us who you think deserves it. At this moment, for me, Mohamed Salah is the best player in the world. But Heath, let's jump into the game itself. Uh, Game of the season in the Premier League, I think. So yeah, absolutely. I think again from the start, I was like, okay, Liverpool, Liverpool have this. They had City. City was having trouble connecting passes. They were having trouble getting out of spaces. They looked like they were on different pages for the first twenty or so minutes. Then it shifted back the other way to Manchester City, who I thought were really good. I mean, they were just, I mean, obviously we, we ended up seeing James Milner play and it ended up not being Graylish on that side, it ended up being Phil Foden. And Phil Foden was just having a day with him and, and to a point where there was an argument that that uh, James Milner should have been sent off on on a, on a challenge mm-hmm. in the second half uh, with for a second yellow. Well, what do you think? I actually thought that the broadcasters called it well on there where they said if this was an isolated incident, right? If he didn't have a yellow before, you would give him a yellow for that. But because it was kind of a weak yellow, uh, it's hard to have that be the second one. But I do think in that situation, the game changes. And I thought it was a lazy foul that should have been a a second yellow card. That that's my, my take on it. But I do think that it was one of those, one of those ones where the ref saw like, man, this is going to change the whole dynamic of the game. I can give one last final (laughs) one and, and let them kind of bail 
liver Liverpool out of that one. Uh, but it was a, it was a complete mismatch there for for James Milner and James Milner. I thought did a great job for for decent periods of doing the best that he can and and given the circumstances of playing against uh, Phil Foden, who was just really lively from the start. But absolutely the best game of the season in terms of quality, in terms of chances, in terms of. Uh, you know, world-class attacks really challenging some of the best defenders in the world. And we're ta- we've been talking about uh, how good City have been defensively or, or that they found like a, a group of, uh, of leaders in the back line there. And on the flip side, with Liverpool having the healthiest, uh, having the healthiest team they've had in a year, uh, give or take James Milner. Um, I, I just thought it was a really, really exciting game. And I actually felt that a 2-2 draw felt pretty fair. Would, would love to get your take on that as well. Yeah, I would say it was a fair result for sure. What I will say that I was surprised about was Liverpool being somewhat reluctant in the first half, that they weren't trying to press. It's almost like they gave Manchester City too much respect, which I found quite odd, especially because they had fans at Anfield, that they weren't trying to play on the front foot, that they were reacting in a lot of different ways and giving, you know, there's one opportunity where Bernardo Silva did like three circles in midfield and ended up springing somebody wide that led to a good chance, you know, so... It was really interesting, I thought. But what I really loved was their response to that. And and if you're a coach or if you're a player and things aren't going well for you, how do you respond when things aren't going well? And coming out of halftime, the signal of intent, they got a good cross. Milner was getting a little bit higher up the field, which I think put City on the back foot. And then they score first. Obviously, Mo Salah doing some good work there to kind of out of the build-up phase. And then uh, Joao Cancelo, a little lazy defending, as as we like to say at times which ultimately unlocked Mo Salah to play that nice ball into to Mane to, to really get it going. I think what's probably frustrating from, from Liverpool's standpoint is not only that first half, like what happens? Why, why were we so reluctant and somewhat nonchalant? But we also gave up two leads, and, and that needs to be addressed as well, even though I thought the, the result was fair. And I think both managers said as much after the game that it was, it was pretty fair, all things considered. Now, Manchester City got lucky by Kevin De Bruyne not getting the red card against PSG. Referees going in their favor for that one. So, sure, maybe Milner deserved the second yellow, but hey, everything balances out. That just happened to happen pretty quick right after that PSG thing. So, they still gave up a goal, though. Man City still scored, even though Milner didn't get thrown out. It, it, was, it was a great game, and I think a great advertisement for the league. Every time maybe the Premier League feels a little bit boring, they come up with an absolutely unbelievable 90 minutes. And actually, that second 45 was tremendous. Yeah, but to your point, by the way, about Liverpool reacting, I thought Man City did really well to react as well after sure. Milner didn't sure. get that second yellow and, of course, the game. But it was a very, very, very good game. We would love to hear from you guys if you have any comments on that. But I think the winner here is Chelsea, to be honest, just looking at that <laughs> and making sure that they retain top. But it was a great, great game. If you have a question or a comment, please make sure that you send it our way. All right, let's talk about the rest of the Premier League here, the roundup, because there was a lot of action as well all over. By the way, Watford sack Cisco Munoz. Uh, he's done, obviously, after that loss to Is that Leeds the guy United. that sang the thong song? <laughs> <laughs> Let me see that. <laughs> okay, so he's done. According to Fabrizio Romano, Claudio Ranieri will return and he will take over Watford, which will be interesting as well. Who do you think, boys? Let's uh, begin with you. He fears again. We'll get the sack in the Premier League next. Who's next? I know. I know Jimmy's answer. Yeah, Who's next? I, he fears. I, I would agree with with Steve Bruce being very high on this list, but oh, I'm going to go with please. Daniel Farka just because I just don't know what Norwich is doing now. Having said that, they got their first point of the season. Unfortunately, it was against Burnley, 
And you need to, you know, that's their second chance against playing a, a, a lower team in the league and mm. a chance to get get opportunities. They got their first point. That that does help. I've been in relegation battles before where every point matters and you start to change that belief. But it all comes down to just the fact of the signings that they made. Again, no disrespect to the fact that they have limited uh, ability to spend. But if you have limited ability to spend, you see with the Brentfords and you see with other clubs that they change the philosophy of how they spend, right? Their, their recruiting policy, the way that they use stats or data to, to, drive, uh, to drive better signings. And, and so for me, that's one that I just don't see uh, him getting out of uh, just one point after the, I mean, obviously Steve Bruce only has three draws, I think uh, three points, but th three of those being those points coming from draws after seven. So I'm going to go with Farka just because it just doesn't look good. And, and I don't think it's good enough. Again, we've talked about this before. You got to be able to motivate your warriors and I've played against teams much better than me and come out uh, on top or gotten results that keep me alive. And you don't have to go, you know, necessarily match their ability to play. You just have to make it really hard for them and make it a very long day for them. And I think Norwich is really struggling to figure out how they're going to do that. So I could see him uh, being the change, although I think he's pretty well-liked by the club. <laughs> yeah, what I'll jump in and say is, though, I would love Steve Bruce to move on and we can bring in somebody that's maybe a little younger, maybe has some some exciting vibe about him. There's plenty of managers. Eddie Howe maybe could come out uh, and, and take over, yeah, obviously, with his Premier League experience. That said, I feel like... Mike Ashley, the owner of Newcastle's, him and him and Steve Bruce are buddies. You know, I feel like they're drinking buddies. You're not going to fire your drinking buddy unless, <laughs> unless it's completely obvious you can sell the club or whatever. So I'm actually going to talk about Southampton and Ralph Husenhuddle because mm. they have yet to win a game in the Premier League so far. They, you know, after losing Danny Ings, they just really lost. I know they brought Armstrong in and he does provide a little bit of a spark, but no wins in the Three Premier League, like I said. Chelsea this weekend, yep. And, and they, they, the only wins on the season are in the, the, the League Cup. So they beat Newport 8-0, which they should. And then they beat Sheffield United in penalties. It was 2-2. It's just, they're just struggling in a lot of different ways. And I think it might be time for him to move on. And I think they've been kind of, he's been hanging on by a thread, I think, for the last five, six, seven months. Every time he loses to Leicester City 9-0, whatever, it's always like, he's got to be getting fired this time. Now they have the international break, potentially give him a breather. They just lost to Chelsea. And I know they had the 0-0 draw recently with City. But coming out of the break, they got Leeds at home and Burnley at home. And if they can't get results in those, it's time for this dude to go. Like, there's not even a question. If you can't get results against a Leeds team that's underperforming and a Burnley team that's underperforming, who you're competing against for the relegation zone right now, then then you have to yeah, – yeah, the players need to hear a different voice. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, to your point, they're 17th, four points, uh, only three from Norwich. So we're talking about Daniel Farker, I think, Rahasen Alto. But losing Danny Ings is massive, and the only victory that really you can say from Southampton is when – I don't know if James Ward-Prowse would think of this as a victory anymore, but signing that new contract in the summer. So it's it's a fair argument. But, you know, Marcelo Diaz and Leeds United got their first win. Uh, Crystal Palace, Patrick Vieira came back from behind to draw against Leicester. Wolves won, etc. And that was it from the Premier League. Well, let's talk about Manchester United against Everton because at the very beginning of this game, Jimmy Conrad, uh, Manchester United were doing well. Everton suddenly sticking around and Andres Townsend with the absolute trolling. Uh, great counter, by the way, but it ends Manchester United 1, Everton 1. Let me ask you this. We'll talk about the game. Olegana Solskjaer. I mean, we're talking about coaches that really should be fired here. Olegana Solskjaer, I mean, with all due respect, this is not good enough. I was see listening to Gabby Aguilar on Talk Sports saying, what are you doing sitting Cristiano Ronaldo at home this early in the season? Thoughts on Olegana Solskjaer, Jimmy? 
for me, it's less about Cristiano Ronaldo that drives me crazy. It's more about that he's continuing to play Fred and McTominay in the double pivot. I, I just, you know how far you're going to get with those two players in that particular area of the field. You're going to mm. probably lose in a couple semifinals and some cup competitions. <laughs> you might get to a final or whatever, but and you're not going to crack on to actually go on to win the league and be a, a legit title contender. Yeah, You've gotten as far as you're going to get with those two guys. Something has to change. Now, obviously, he's seen something that he feels a little bit vulnerable when those guys don't play, or together at least. I just don't understand where you knew Everton and under Rafa Benitez were going to come out and counter. That's how they scored. That's how Newcastle got their one goal at Old Trafford as well. They sit back, they absorb, they absorb, they absorb. And you go up 1-0 on a good goal by Anthony Martial, good switch to the point of attack, good play to get it from one side to the other, of course, and, and a good finish. But but then you have Fred, who has an opportunity to kill the play, and he, and he doesn't. Like That's the only reason you have a guy in there is to break up plays and stop counters. And he doesn't, and Everton scores. So that frustrates me. But they don't have Calvert-Lewin, and they don't have Richarlison. They have like, they're missing two of their best attacking players. And I just don't understand. You have to win that game. So, yes, that was a must-win game. And for me, it was less about Ronaldo. It was more about some of the choices you made in the middle of the field. And I think that let them down, ultimately. Yeah, I mean, this was an exciting one for me only because it was a chance to see the team without Ronaldo. And again, I'm not bothered about Ronaldo. In fact, I think... The home games, and I agree with Jimmy, the home games, you're playing with a double pivot, which feels like you're playing not to lose again. You're playing conservatively. You're not mm -hmm, playing mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, with, you know, you, maybe there's comfort there, but can you take a risk? Can you try some of the other players? We're still seeing Jaden Sancho, no matter how the rotation goes, coming off the bench. I don't know what the deal with him is because I don't know if anybody watched the Bundesliga last year or the last couple seasons, but he was unbelievable. Now, how that converts into the Premier League, something different. How that converts into a team like Manchester United, also something different. Uh, but But certainly seems like, a little bit of a concern, but you had Martial on, you had Edinson Cavani, and I thought it was, okay, here we go. A different look. How dynamic can this team be? And it just feels like they're still missing um, pieces. And I am I feel like when you look at the depth of the squad, they have all the pieces, but for some reason, when, we make, when, when they tinker or they change the lineup or they play without Ronaldo, you go, okay, these guys will have more freedom. It won't be like, first time, time I get the ball, I look for Ronaldo and then figure out what I'm going to do next. Uh, but it's still lacking some of that creativity. Obviously, Bruno Fernandes feels a bigger role. Ronaldo's off the field and he can take his half chances and hit bangers. But uh, overall, uh, I look at this as like a, almost like there's a tension between the manager and the players in terms of, in terms of freedom or, or confidence or belief in the system that uh, it feels like there's something bubbling there of like, are we all heading in the right direction? Yeah, you know, I, my producer... Go ahead, go, go no, no, I wanted, I wanted to segue to your question, Jimmy. I wanted uh, to a question to you, uh, to both of you, but, um, you know, my producer, Des Norris, wants to, I mean, to ask about Sancho and how frustrated he must be at the arrival of Ronaldo. But to be honest with you, that's also equally asked of uh, Van de Beek. This is a yeah, player yeah, yeah. that comes to Manchester United with a tremendous amount of, uh, of of respect, really good technically, and he is a shadow of a shadow of himself. And it's not his fault, I think, most of it. He just, well, I don't know what Ole Gunnar Solskjaer does to not get the best out of players. So I guess the question returns. In terms of Van der Beek, these, these sort of bench players, you know, they're anywhere else I could see them flourish. How frustrated must Sancho and others be with your rival, yet another attacking player like Ronaldo? But it's not just Ronaldo's skateboard. It's just in general, just what I'm looking at and how Solskjaer is going to get the best out of them. What, what Van de Beek's fault was, and I'll start with him, is that he signed with Manchester United in the first place. Yes, that's I, the I, only fault I, he had. Yes. Honestly, I will say that when I first heard that he signed with Manchester United, I was like, 
Wh huh? Why? Where? Where's he going to fit? Yeah. I mean, you, can, you knew right away, like, where, where's he going to fit? You got Pogba, you got Bruno Fernandez already, and they were already committed to having a double pivot. And can Van de Beek play one of those? He can, but is that, can he do some of that, that thankless hard running in the Premier League? There's always that tag. Well, is he good enough to play in the Premier League? Dude, yeah, he's good enough to play in the Premier League, you bastards. Uh, so <laughs> that always like, yes, he can do it. You got to give him a run of games, though. Like, he never yeah. gets a run of games. How can the guy There's ever establish no a flow or a rhythm? And the same thing applies to Jaden Sancho. You want him to get, uh, you know, get uh, used to playing in the Premier League? Dude, give that guy like five, six games in a row, and I'm sure he'll get caught up to speed very, very quickly. But if you stop and start his time, and then he doesn't, he's getting minutes here and there and all that good stuff, it's going to be hard for him to ever feel comfortable. And maybe that's how Ole Gunnar likes to manage. There are managers out there like that. But it's not necessarily going to work for these two players in particular. I do want to say, though, to his point really quick, is that it was 1-0 at halftime. For Manchester United scoring the 43rd minute at the 57th minute they brought on the players that everybody was clamoring for at the start Cristiano Ronaldo's in for Cavani and Jaden Sancho comes in for Anthony Martial eight minutes later they give up the goal on a counter to Andros Townsend so it, I just almost and I don't do this often but almost to be an apologist for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer he, in some ways he, he did everything everybody asked of him and, and it yeah. still didn't work he was kind of in a no-win situation before you, before he jumped, let me just interrupt. I watched this whole game, and I'm going to tell you something. And I did a little analogy on Twitter. I said that, you know, uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is what Michael Bay was to Pearl Harbor, to this squad. <laughs> he relies so much on stars to solve a terrible production. It doesn't – I was watching the whole lead at halftime, and Bruno Fernandes was having a fantastic game. Fantastic game. But if he doesn't click, everybody's lost. Meaning that to me, Solskjaer is the kind of manager that relies so much on individual talent that it doesn't matter. You could have three Ronaldos out there. There is no shape sometimes. He's a very nice man, a very big fan of his playing career. I'm sure he's a great man manager. Players like him. But to me, tactically, he's not it. And I thought that was a good example of what we saw against Everton. Sorry, Heath. Yeah, no, I, I think just to pick up on that point, when you look back at the Liverpool-Man City game, what you saw were teams with individual brilliance, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. moments of individual brilliance, right? Combination play, uh, individual moments to create goal-scoring opportunities. You saw world-class moments come out of what looked like a very team-oriented shape and approach to the game. And Manchester United doesn't feel like that right now. They don't feel like they have this team where then you put these players and you build the parameters of how this team is going to play. And then within those parameters, you see the creativity mm -hmm, and world-class mm -hmm, come out mm -hmm. of it. You see, again, these... And people called it from the start, from the very first game with Ronaldo, where the energy was so high. And you're like, wow, it is going to be very hard if this is what it's going to take for them to win. And mm -hmm. it's continuing, you know? And I I called a little bit of a bluff on that early on, where I was like, hey, that energy is infectious and energy, blah, blah, blah. But you're actually seeing that as the crutch because it doesn't seem like there is a coherent plan for the players to all buy into that helps them protect the lead, that helps them to, to win games, to help them have a rhythm and, and just a style of play. And it feels like a bunch of these pieces. And that goes to Jaden Sancho, where you should know that he's emotional. He played poorly. When his transfer fell through last time, he was pretty poor for a while. Mm -hmm. And now you've brought him in after this exhausting uh, uh, failed transfer before, you bring him in, and now he's not getting his run. And if you're looking at it, and then you bring in Ronaldo, you're like, man, you guys screwed me. You guys screwed me. And I put everything into this. I live this in my in, – and in, in Jimmy, you know what it's like. Mm -hmm. When something like that is happening, you live it a million times in your head, right? It's it's a dream come true for, for a player like Sancho to go to a club like Manchester United, in theory. And now you get in there and you go, hey, this isn't what I signed up for. This isn't how it was. You guys brought in all this guy. I'm, I'm happy to compete for a spot, but 
if I got to start 100 yards uh, back in a, in a 200 yards race, I'm never going to be able to win. And that's that mentality becomes becomes hard to get over uh, when you go in. And then you and then you talk about the Premier League and the pressures of it, the media and all the scrutiny of all these things of every touch gets overanalyzed. And, you know, it's it's OK. It's a big place to be in Germany. But when you play in England, everybody's talking about you all the time, your life. When you step out of the house, you're being watched and everything like that. It can be a lot. It's already a big enough adjustment, I guess is what mm-hmm. I'm saying. And mm-hmm. so if you're not getting the backing of the club or at least the benefit of the doubt to get some run of games or some run of form to prove that you're more than just a bit part player that plays the last 20 minutes to bring a spark, I think it's going to be hard to see the best of Sancho as long as he has this sort of um, backing from the club at the moment. Yeah, but I just want to add, there was a play there at the end against Everton where Jane Sancho lost the ball in midfield. Yeah. Yeah. And that led to Everton actually scoring but they got called offside, thankfully for Jaden Sancho. So what's hard for him uh, to couple with everything that he just said, when he comes on, he's got to be lights out. Like he can't That's make, very tough for him to he, do he, Clearly it is. I mean, he still can't feel sorry for himself. You have plenty of time to be emotional about that type of stuff after the game. You can talk to whoever you're you know, your safety net is of, of communicators. But, but Jimmy, there's a difference between lights out and the feeling like you have to be lights out, right? Going no, out and sure. playing because you're confident versus being feeling like I've got to do more and more and more, which leads to bad turnovers. This leads to bad moments where right. you dribble when you should pass and all those things where you get stuck in your own head. Right. There's a big difference between being very good and, and saying I have to be very good every chance or I'm not going to play and then you end up playing poorly. I think when we come to an agreement of Manchester United right now is individuals still not fully comprehending exactly what is need to be asked of them. And that falls under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, in my opinion. By the way, Manchester United's next 10 games, Leicester City away, Atalanta at home, Liverpool at home, Tottenham away, Atalanta, Manchester City, Watford, Villarreal, Chelsea, Arsenal. It's not going to be easy. So we'll see how they do uh, towards uh, those 10 games. All right, let's throw those Premier League fixtures one more time. Palace, Leicester, we talked about 2 all. Villa lost to Tottenham 2-1. Human son was just ridiculous in that game. West Ham loses to Brentford, by the way, in stoppage time. Brentford have only lost to Brighton so far. Four points off the top right now. Liverpool, Man City, we talked about. 2-0. And Manchester United, Everton. We talked about Burnley, Norwich. We talked about Chelsea beats Southampton. Leeds beats Watford. Wolves beats Newcastle. <laughs> what? I didn't hear that. <laughs> <laughs> And Brighton and Arsenal, a stalemate. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Giants that we were recently discussing about. Uh, No, not the New York Giants, not the San Francisco Giants, but the Giants, the presumed Giants. PSG, how did they do in Liga? What about Real Madrid? What about Barcelona? What about Bayern Munich? Well, we'll let you know. We're taking a break. We'll be right back. Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. Everybody, we are back. If you're watching live on YouTube, we just continue. If you're listening on audio, thank you so much. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. Please leave a nice review and give us a comment or a question. Let's talk about PSG. They faced Rennes. They lost 2 nothing. They had Eminem in there, Mbappé. They had Messi. They had Neymar. They had Di Maria in there. Donnarumma started in goal. It was all feeling, all right, maybe they'll get something going. But guess what? Their perfect record comes to an end. There was Conference League against Champions League, and the former won. Uh, Jimmy, at the start of the season, (laughs) 
you said, uh, you know, if PSG don't win every single game, or at least they're not, they don't finish it undefeated, it's a massive failure. So who's to blame? Uh, who's to blame for this one? What a bunch of losers. I'm going to start there. <laughs> these guys. No, actually, what I think happens is that Mauricio Pochettino just tries, hey, maybe this is our best starting lineup, right? And then after the game, oh, God, we lost. He scratches that 11 down. He's like, all right, let's just try another starting I, I just don't think he knows what his best starting 11 is. And yes, he's putting all the players out there that we want to see. But is it the right balance of guys? And that's going to be the biggest challenge for him. Not only, I would say, from a tactical and technical and, and physical standpoint, but also emotionally and, and, and mentally and the egos that you have to keep in check. Obviously, Manchester United is going through very, something similar. Another thing that I want to discuss and bring up is I'm glad it's not easy for these guys. I'm glad they're getting their butts kicked. I'm glad you can't just go buy any trophy that you want and that you actually have to earn things. And mm -hmm. what they're going to find out very quickly, they already found it out in the Champions League with Club Brugge and now today with Ren, is you still have to go out there and do the bare minimum, which is run your ass off, make plays, do the little things that helped you get successful in the first place, the things that you started off when you were a kid before everybody thought you were super talented. You can't get away from those basics. And if that was in, implemented into the team, then, then they would obviously go on to win 99% of their games. But because there's a lot of luxury players and because those guys have become so accustomed to not having to defend, it's going to be hard for them because they need, I don't know, Heath and I talk about it sometimes with the U.S. team. You need a lot of guys playing at seven or eight. You can't have guys one day being threes and then one day being tens. There has to be more consistency with that lineup, and we're not seeing it. And unfortunately, on the first goal of this one, which was right before halftime, which gave Ren a lot of confidence going into it, and then they scored one minute after halftime, is uh, Nuno Mendes, the 18-year-old on the other side, just got caught ball watching, yeah. which led to the first goal. Now, they didn't get any shots on goal at PSG, so this is an on Nuno Mendes, but it just seems like if it's some, they're just kind of sharing who makes the mistakes. Every week it's somebody different. Zero be shots hard. on target, Jimmy Conrad. Which is ridiculous. He is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and when I think about that, uh, that just seems like, uh, an ego problem and a rhythm problem. And I'm, I, I'm not saying ego is bad. They all have egos. You need ego to be good. But if you've watched them, I go back to when PSG won 4-2 against Brest earlier on in the season. They looked already vulnerable to weaker teams, like getting up for the occasion. That was before most of these big stars were playing, but it looked like a giant playing against a minnow. And and mm. they struggled to get up for the 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 pitch, the the game, the tempo, the style of play. It wasn't pretty. Um, and teams are going to continue to try to make them scrap like that. What The other thing I wanted to talk about with, with regard to that is if you looked at PSG in the past, they always had one player that would sort of drift their way back slowly, and that would be Neymar, or maybe <laughs> it would be Mbappe, or they sort of all, they would look at each other and be like, it's your turn to play defense. And now you've got three players who you have to look at each other, or four even, where they look at each other and go, whose turn is it to play defense? And if you looked in the Man City game, there were long periods where there was two or three of them slowly walking backward. Now, again, moments of brilliance helped help them to beat uh, uh, actually who I thought were a, a decent side that day, Man City. Uh, but but they beat them on individual moments of brilliance. You can't have to rely on that again, similar to Manchester United, where you have you know world class moments of brilliance to win every game. But to not create chances, that is just Zero a rhythm. Shot, I, I, I just can't see a world in which you have players like that where you just don't have really dangerous chances all day long. Now maybe. The goalkeeper stands on his head and the defense plays lights out and things don't go your way. And you can create this string of like 10 things that make it so a PSG loses uh, to a Wren without, you know, when they have like 30 shots on target or whatever that that can happen. That that has happened. 
But the fact that they don't even generate these types of opportunities with the players they have on the field makes me wonder, again, what these players are looking for or what, again, mm -hmm. is off. Because you're throwing a, the biggest player in the world in Messi into a mix of already sort of a, uh, like a fractured relationship between Mbappe and Neymar and where they're at in their careers and who's, whose team is it and all those things. And like that was, if you think about the dynamic of, of that locker room, there, there couldn't be any other thing outside of Ronaldo or, or, or Messi arriving that could sort of create more tension than was already there. And now it's there. And again, it's not on those guys. It's, it's on the manager. It's on the team to step and up. And I'm not necessarily worried about that. But And yeah. fair play to Ren as well, by the way. They were very good 100%. as well. And they, they're a somewhat of a bogey team as well, by the way, against PSG. Uh, their manager always gets the best out of them. But international break, both of you. I'm asking Jimmy first. Uh, Pochettino then. What's, you know, he's sticking around, I guess. I just don't see... Is he finished? What's going on? Because, you know, the perfect record's done. Fair enough, it's still early and stuff, but it's really alarming to Heath's point, just, uh, you know, what's going on. What do you think? That's a good question. I'm still pondering, I think. But with regard to... Because if you're going to do it, you do it right now, right? If you get rid of him, you do it right now, I think. Will that solve anything, or does it just try to paper over the cracks? I mean, I you're going to bring in Zidane? You could bring in Zidane. You could bring in an Antonio Conte, who I think... Might be too intense for that collection of players. Where Sam I think Zidane, Sam Allardyce is a, actually a great one. Big scam Allardyce is the way to go. <laughs> you know, take, take him to Newcastle. That's what I want. <laughs> um, so, so I guess Zidane would be probably the one that I think uh, can finesse the egos the most and is already having a proven track record with Real Madrid, mm. who are littered with stars when he was in charge and he got the most out of them and kept them settled. I would say that would, I just don't think he's going to take it. I, I just, Maybe he commits to a year and a half and then he can take over the national team after the 2022 World Cup. It's something that I could potentially see. I'm sure they're courting him or at least having conversations. But it's only a point. year and a half. That's that's that is the run of this team is that's max true. That's a year fair. and a half. That's fair. Before that's fair. It gets, you know, the grenade rolls in, rolls into the room and you gotta sort of break it all up and all the egos gotta go separate ways. That's what I would think. Just because the domestic league itself isn't that enticing for these guys. This is a super team to win in the next year and a half. Yeah, I, yeah. No, to your point, LME, it it could be now. Do you wait That's one more? Do you wait one more month with one more transfer window and see how it goes? Because they are also coming off a tremendous win against Man City in the Champions League, so that needs to be factored into the equation yeah. as well. And we we got to move on, but just to just to add to everything that we've been talking about, um, you know, he's talking about you know players not coming back. There is a manager out there without a team who literally lives on making sure that you track back, you kill yourself, and you do everything you can. Bielsa. <laughs> well, I was going to say Antonio Conte, but yeah, both, both of them <laughs> do as well. And, 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 you know, he won't have any issues in terms of uh, money and financial worries. But we'll see what happens. The, the, the truth is this. PSG perfect record is done. By the way, other big clubs who suffered, who had a worse week here? Barcelona, who were embarrassed by Benfica. They lost to Atletico Madrid. Or Real Madrid, who were embarrassed by FC Sheriff and lost to Espanyol. Heath, who had a worst week, Barcelona or Real Madrid? It's got to be Barcelona. They just stood behind their manager and then lost. Like It's like they're trying anything to, to just sort of play this, this game that's going to win the supporters back, that's going to win the locker room back, that's going to win Komen back, that's going to whatever. And again, I just don't see how you can fix it. They don't have the ability to fire him and change somebody else. Uh, so that it's stuck like that. Luis Suarez is taunting, uh, taunting you. Uh, I, it's just one of those things. They made Jao, uh, Jao Felix look like the best player that I've seen, the version of him that I've been wanting to see for a long time. Uh, it, it's just, 
yeah, I, I think that they have have to have it the the, the toughest. I mean, again, uh, Real Madrid on the other side could have been down three nil and probably should have been, and and not even close to coming back into this game uh, outside of again individual moments of brilliance. But the the biggest embarrassment for me is Barcelona because it just seems like they can't get out of their own way, no matter what they say in the press. The opposite happens than on the field, <laughs> and yeah. So yeah. I, I I actually I with regard to Barcelona. I'll say that they, let's start with the positives. They started the week great. They beat Levante 3-0 last week and then uh, obviously got slapped around by Benfica and then by Atleti as well. I, with, when I look at Barcelona though, I know they're a dumpster fire. I, once Messi left, I knew they were going to be a dumpster fire. So my expectations are kind of where I, or they're, 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 they're not exceeding expectations. They're kind of right where I expected them to right. be. Right. Their week was already, their month was, yeah. their year has already been yeah. bad. One you more already, week. Yeah, well, whatever. Just throw it, whatever. It's fine. But Madrid is a little bit more of a shock. I mean, losing to Sheriff is probably the craziest result in the history At of home. the competition. I know. It's crazy. And then losing to, to Espanol, which is a team that they haven't lost to in 21 years. Or no, this is the only second time in 25 years that they've lost to Espanol is crazy. Now, I do want to give some context here because I saw some fun facts on the internet because you always learn stuff on the internet as one does. <laughs> but, but in October 2019... They, they suffered a shock defeat to newly promoted Mallorca. October mm -hmm. 2020, they suffered a shock defeat to newly promoted Cadiz. And in 2021, they suffered a shock defeat to newly promoted Espanol. It's, it's kind of an autumn tradition uh, uh, right now for, for them. Also, in October 2018, they lost to Alaves and Levante, who had been promoted in the season. And, and then, remember last season, they lost to Shakhtar Donetsk, and Donetsk wasn't even at full strength to like a B squad of Shakhtar at home. In the Champions League, but still found a way to win the group. So and, and they, they turned can't it around sleep on this Madrid team, you know. They're, they're I will just, say this they're though, playing coy right now. They're playing coy. I will say this though, Carlo Ancelotti, usually who's uh, such a defender of his players and his squad, after this game, he said our plan was pretty clear, but the team were disorganized, not well positioned, very individual. These are things we need to fix. I spoke. <laughs> I spoke with the players who agree. Totally threw his players under the bus in that. that. Usually he defends his squad, but in that one, he blamed the entire team, Heath Pierce. Hey, wasn't that Barcelona's first loss in the league, though? And now they're in ninth place. Like, that's... Jimmy, yeah. weren't you saying that before? Like, yeah, you know, you know, a lot, a lot of draws. draws. Like, it wasn't like how, yeah, you know, was, having said that, that, they were undefeated. <laughs> they were still un undefeated on the season. Mm -hmm. Like, this, well, guess what? They're not anymore. So that, <laughs> well, they can fall even further. I'm not, uh, I'm not turning well, my back on them being the worst. Let's week. stick with Barcelona, but let's, let's focus a little bit less on Ronald Koeman for a second and talk about the president, Joan Laporta. Um, because, you know, he, before this game, before the game against Atletico Madrid, he came out and defended Koeman. He said he needs a little bit of time. He's a Barcelona legend, et cetera, et cetera. He's, you know, in fact, in fact, I was reading, I also read and learn things on the internet, Jimmy, and I learned mm -hmm. that also Laporta did a similar thing with Rijkaard back in the day where Rijkaard and Barcelona were getting killed left, right, and center. I believe they had a really big loss against, I think it was Mallorca, 5-1, and um, maybe it was somebody else, but they, they lost badly, and he stuck with him. And in the end, they ended second. Obviously, this is a different situation. But Laporta stuck with Kuman even before the game, kind of predicting what was going to happen. But has he made a bad situation worse for here? Because when he arrived and he won the presidency from uh, Bartomeu, he was like, this is it. A new page is turning. I know that financially mm -hmm. we're an absolute mess, but we're going to do everything we can to make sure that we restore everything. Not only has that not happened, it's worse. So... Are we putting too much blame on Kuman? Is what I'm saying. Is Laporta really needs to be a bigger uh, focus? In some capacity, yes. I think 
what happens is, and this is natural, but you get so caught up in that week's results. You get so caught up in the emotion of the team playing poorly or underperforming, or why are these players even on this team that I love? Like, why is Luke de Jong wearing a Barcelona kit? It blows the mind and still blows my mind. But, but you still have, so you have these things here, and that's what you get caught up in. But if you remember when he got hired, I remember his press conference. He knew exactly what he was walking into. Now, he thought he was going to have Messi for a little longer than he did. I think Laporte thought he was going to have the same thing. And that fell through, and now you've inherited. It's even magnified the whole problem. And what I think Laporta's mistake was, acting like he wasn't backing Kuman the whole time. Because he knew, and now he's coming out and saying it, that he had to walk through fire at this point. This is just where the club is at the particular moment. Mm. And somebody has to step up and do it, which is why they and, – and there's probably a part of me that thinks he's probably coming out now because he's been quiet for a couple of weeks yeah. because nobody wants the job. So now he has to come state publicly – and this is his way to do it and tell the board, hey, nobody wants this thing right now until we can kind of get our shit together. Stapled some flyers up on the telephone poles <laughs> yeah, exactly, of like, exactly. looking for a manager. Nobody yeah, called. Yeah. <laughs> nobody calling. Nobody's swiping <laughs> right on Barcelona right now. And so and so, you got to stick with Kuman. And, and Kuman, I think, knows that. And I think he's trying to just be as relaxed about the situation as possible. He has the hand that he has. They have the players that they have. And he's trying to make the best with what he has. And they still have a lot of injuries as well. And on top of that, it's not like they're even their best guys are playing that well. Like Ter Stegen hasn't been that sharp. Uh, PK kind of hot and cold. Busquets right now hot and cold. Coutinho had a couple chances in this game that maybe a confident Coutinho from three, four, five years ago would have hit hit one of those in the back of the net. Or if he's playing for Barcelona, he would have hit but, one in the back of the net. So I don't know. I, I That's all I really have to say about it. But but yes, I think that Laporta, it's interesting to see when he chooses to, to speak to the public about Kuman in particular and when he doesn't. Mm. But by the way, uh, Eden Hazard also, he had a goal called back from an offside position from Benzema. But if you saw his strike, it was from three or four years ago as well. I don't know if you guys <laughs> yeah, saw yeah, the it was good. I did What see it. a banger to yeah. the top corner. But yeah, uh, real quick, Lise, I, I agree with you on that. It, it, it's hard because people are taking all these moments and, and isolating them, right? So uh, mm. the, the the comments of, uh, of Komen recently about the team and the state that they're in, uh, Laporta on, on now backing Komen in this moment. But again, you go back to when I think people are having trouble connecting or stringing this all together into a linear chain of events because you go back to last year and they were actually, again, competing for a title towards the end of the season. They had yeah. gotten it on, on a crazy run, ultimately falling short, and people were like, wow, this guy's really turning around or creating a belief system when it was burning all along, right? Then you lose Messi and it's still burning, except it's burning even more. And I think people are having trouble connecting the dots of knowing that he came in when it was really bad and it got worse without any of his doing and has sort of been stuck in the middle, which I think is, is an impossible position to be in. I don't think anybody necessarily wants the job, but I do agree that Laporte has, hasn't supported or at least been public about it to where you can actually just accept that the team is in a tough place, the club is in a tough place, and then look forward, right? We can, mm -hmm. We're continuously looking back at the weekend and looking back at the thing that just happened and how is that connected to the next thing, next thing that's going to happen instead of saying, hey, guys, it is horrible here. Things are really bad across the board, and we're going to try to figure it out and we're going to take it step by step. Instead, it's like, oh, they lose again. Then, then Komen has to go out in the media, and then nobody from the from the board of directors speaks up. And it's just this constant like game where we can't move past it. And it's and it's now starting to connect into this bigger thing. Yeah, and I'll just finish by saying that there was a time when Barcelona played Atletico Madrid, and you thought, what can Atletico Madrid do to win this game? Now it's expected that Barcelona will lose. Uh, by the way, Barcelona's next three matches are at Camp Nou, including the first classical of the season, October 4th. But just very quickly, quickly click on Atletico Madrid. 
they got it going. They got that 2 nothing win. It, it, it's not just all about the dumpster fire that is Barcelona. Uh, Jimmy, you're Atletico Madrid. Finally got that win. They're looking good. Uh, at least this past weekend. Is this a turnaround? Will they finally win games that they're meant to win? I think that this proves that Griezmann is not a starter for Atletico Madrid. Joao Felix, I thought, was very bright, uh, very active. Excellent. Him and Luis Suarez, nice partnership. Hopefully Lamar, he'll get a Lamar run Lamar of games. Yeah. Oh, Thomas Lamar. Lamar's evolution uh, at Atleti, kind of starting as a left winger, kind of left mm. back, and now kind of get once he got central, I really feel like his game has taken bigger steps, and that's why I think Saul ended up becoming the uh, out of the market because, because Thomas Lamar has really kind of stepped up and, and allowed the team to attack in a much different way than Saul ever did. And then obviously Rodrigo De Paul, I hope he continues to play well. But yeah, they're starting to find maybe that lineup that can unlock things going forward. That said, this Barcelona team's hot trash. So I hope that Atleti can beat them. Uh, it, this is probably the best time to play Barcelona than maybe when they start to figure it out in some capacity moving forward, if they figure it out. But yeah, fair play to Atleti. They're still, right now, obviously taking big advantage of Madrid dropping points as well. But they're the favorites, and they have been this whole time, despite having some vulnerabilities over the last week or two. Yeah, our friend Lucho Garcia was actually on the call, uh, the friend of the Paramount Plus and CBS team and the podcast, yeah. and and he 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 made a few comments that I thought were really interesting. And one, if you looked at the way Atletico Madrid were playing, they were doing such a good job of finding a high striker, laying it off, and that mm-hmm. third man mm-hmm. runner or that combination play again. That's kind of comes from the training grounds, but that uh, knowing that. Barcelona just watched the ball. They're not watching the man. They're not watching the positions. They're not seeing the angles. And those were, they were just eating them up and getting literally something that had no danger to one pass, two passes. And now they're behind the back line. And that wasn't necessarily just a knock on, on Barcelona, but uh, a credit to, to the way Atletico are playing offensively. And Thomas Lamar is a huge part of, I mean, unbelievable on the ball now and just a disruptor uh, that, that makes, Defense is really imbalanced and starts to create space for other players on the field. So overall, uh, in the form that they're in and the way that they played against Barcelona, I don't want it to just be about Barcelona being bad because uh, they're uh, Atletico are very good right now. They are. My favorite part was when Diego Simeone turned around to the crowd and said, come on, we're all here, full stadium. We're winning against Barcelona. Get loud. And loud they did. Uh, that's a Newcastle name, Jimmy. Maybe a Diego Simeone or... Maybe a relative of the OC Mione. He'll do just anybody for uh... anybody. <laughs> All right, let's keep moving here. Serie A. Des Norris, put them up on the screen, please. Of course, Fiorentina lose to Napoli and Napoli remain perfect. 2-1. Juventus win against Torino in the Turin Derby. Bologna beat Lazio 3-0. Sassuolo lose to Inter Milan as well. And uh, let's just double check here because we are taping, obviously, during the Atalanta AC Milan game and that game 70th minute it's two nothing to AC Milan by the way uh beating Atalanta away from home anything from Serie A Jimmy that sticks out to you well this is AC Milan performance right now is unbelievable and they really set the tone they scored in the first minute Calabria scored and that must have shell-shocked an Atalanta team that was welcoming Luis Muriel back into the team we're big fans of him of course and again, Stefano Pioli, the manager of Milan, really pressing a lot of the right buttons in a lot of different ways. They've been a little unlucky the Champions League so far, but uh, they do have a tremendous team. Seeing Sandro Tonali score the second is impressive as well with Brahim Diaz and, and Rebic up top. It's just, it's really, really impressive on, on this side of things. Now, for Lazio, I just want to bring them up really quick. Them losing 3 0 to Bologna. I want to buy into the Maurizio Sari hype train, but then I see them play sometimes or most recently and they're, they're missing something. And, and I wonder if Maurizio Sarri can figure that out. And it seems a little bit more on the defensive side, because obviously they have a plethora of options 
yeah. going forward. But losing 3-0 to Bologna is not going to help them even scratch the top four. They have to grind out those results. And even if they don't win, they, they can't lose. And so that I was keeping an eye on that game for sure. Yeah. It, 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 real quick, how many more wins in a row do we need Napoli before they're a title favorite? I mean, if how long can we saw AC Milan last year for a long time sort of run the front of the league until effectively Inter Milan went out of all European competition and then just turned a corner. And I mean, they were going punch for punch and AC Milan looked more vulnerable than than Inter Milan did. But but certainly Napoli have to be in the discussion with the way that they're oh, they're getting results. 100%. The problem is, is that Milan's right under them with three points and uh, they're definitely favorites. Uh, I didn't have them this high up this early on. I still, I'm sticking with AC Milan, but Napoli are no joke. Seven wins, seven wins. They're perfect. 18 goals scored, only conceded three, by the way. Yeah. Very good. I, I just to jump in on Napoli, they have 18 goals, four, three against, as you mentioned. They're doing it on both sides of the ball, which is something I didn't think we could say about them in the past, that they would be very good going forward. You'd probably see some 3-2 wins, some 4-3 yeah, wins. Lots of back, yeah. yeah, but they kind of where Lazio is right now. And, and it'll be interesting to see if Luciano Spalletti can get them across the finish line. I think Napoli at times have that, you know, Borussia Dortmund, Bayer Leverkusen, you know, they'll, they'll challenge Bayer until about two months left, and then they're going to fall apart. And we've seen Napoli do that in the past. And and I wonder if if they can kind of shake that mentality. And they just have to create a little bit of distance. The longer that that Milan and Inter hang around and Juve with the big win again against Torino this weekend and the, the, the Turin Derby, you know, it's just it's just it's, you just gotta I feel like you just gotta clip Napoli's heels, just stay on their heels, and at some point they're gonna trip up. And then that's when you can leapfrog them and get first. Which is what AC Milan is doing right now. Yep, but yep. yes, to yep. Heath's point, they do remain uh very, very favored in terms of this Serie A race. All right. Let's talk about the weekend's biggest. Let's begin with the weekend's biggest winner out of anywhere in Europe, anywhere in Europe, player or team. Who was the weekend's biggest winner? Heath Pierce, who was the weekend's biggest winner? Oh, man. It has to be a player for me. That's Gianluca Busio scoring uh, his first goal in Serie A. I think it's a monumental moment for him. Because he's playing on such a team that's struggling uh, or struggling so much, you know, to, to, to compete in Syria. I think a lot of that gets swept under, under the rug, but the way he's playing is what we saw back in the early gold cup days. We go, wow, this guy is really phenomenal, but it's really hard to give credit to a team that is chasing points right now. And for him to score a goal in the closing moments, it was in stoppage time is a huge boost, not just, not just for, for the team or for the U S national league, but for him as a player, I think he's really starting to establish himself and also one of these players that's flying under the radar of our big overly hyped or not overly hyped, but rightfully hyped uh, stars in the U.S. And I think that's a good position for a young player to be in instead of being overhyped at the moment. I like it. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to jump in and I'm going to go with the the little Davids that beat the Goliaths. I'm going to say Eintracht beating Bayern for the first time in Munich yeah. in 21 years. Espanol, Espanol beating Real Madrid. Uh, Utrecht we actually went into Amsterdam and beat Ajax to knock them off their perch. The first game they wow. lost all season. And Ren beating PSG. That is nothing short of amazing. So I want to give a shout out to those for, for Davids uh, against these Goliaths. I like it. Uh, we have a comment coming up here. Tony! Or is it Tori? <laughs> Tony? That's yeah, Tony. Tony. Yeah. Weekend's biggest winner, Mosala's I agent. love it. Tony, you I think, think Mosala's agent is probably doing fine, guys. I think... <laughs> I know, I think but- Tony wins, I think, because it's true. The conversation right now, and we'll have Fabrizio Romano on tomorrow to discuss, but obviously about that new contract for Mohamed Salah. At this point, 
you got to offer it. And, you know, what better way to argue for your client to get a new good spanking and good contract than to get a result like that? So, yeah, that, that's a good one. What's Tony, the one? 500? 500, 500 a week? Is that what is that what the ask is? Uh, I believe, you know, well, I got to have the numbers in front of me, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's something like that. I mean, it's some just give the man what he wants is what I'm saying. He's already a Liverpool legend. He needs to just get the money. But yes, well done, Tony, his agent. I was going to go with Brentford, to be honest, but uh, mm-hmm. it's uh, they, they've only lost to Brighton, their seventh stoppage time winner against West Ham. It's pr- four points away from uh, the top, against, uh, Chelsea number one. Like, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, good shout, good shout. I mean, it's early on, but, you know, definitely worth it. All right, let's go to weekend's biggest loser, Jimmy Conrad. Who's the weekend's biggest loser? I'm going to say Ronald Koeman because he still has to manage Barcelona. I mean, he could have lucked out and got fired, probably banked a ton of money and was like, I don't have to worry about any of this crap anymore, but he's still in charge. Canary Islands, Ronald. He's still in charge. Yes. So so I think Ronald Koeman is, is the biggest loser. He's still got to be in charge of Barcelona. I got to go with Bayern Munich because that <laughs> loss to Eintracht Frankfurt, and while I, again, we can we can probably laugh about this in a few months, uh, allowed uh, both Leverkusen and Dortmund to get back into the title race. You know, it was one that it just seemed like it was going to be an early runaway, but uh, after a slow start from 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 Dortmund, um, Leverkusen have been okay, but now the title race is back on. They're sitting on 16 points, Leverkusen on 16, and Borussia Dortmund on 15. Freiburg also on 15, but I'm not too worried about them uh, chasing <laughs> it, chasing uh, it down. And then also, um, and uh, RB Leipzig now chasing their way back up. Jesse Marsh might be be a little bit safer in his job, but yeah, Bayern Munich, I think a, a, a huge loss for them. Uh, that's now allowing other teams to be part of that conversation again. Yeah, and Lewandowski didn't get a goal, which is uh, pretty impressive. Uh, I don't know. My my biggest loser, I don't know. There's so many. Uh, yeah, by the way, Mohamed Salah does want uh, 500,000 a week. So, well, pounds, get- pounds, pounds, by the way. Okay. Well, I guess I guess the biggest losers Liverpool's uh, yeah. uh, board to have to deal with this. Then I guess that would be the biggest loser yeah. in terms of that one. But very good there. All right, let's uh, finish up here by oh, Ancelotti says our producer biggest loser <laughs> the sheriff god damn it he says he wants to put respect on sheriff's name all right we'll give you Carl Ancelotti this absolutely all right let's uh let's go with the you let, let's talk about this uh, obviously international break coming up USMNT World Cup qualifiers and uh, these two fine gentlemen will be riding this journey with you Heath Pierce and Jimmy Conrad previewing recapping all the good content as a USMNT face uh, some very, very big games. When aren't they big? Of course, they need to make it to the World Cup this time around, and we'll see what happens, but you can follow them uh, with us on Kego Lasso, but let's talk about the Americans that did well this weekend, and anybody in particular that you wanted to shout out. I know that Heath mentioned Busio, but is there anything else that you wanted to discuss? Uh, I think, Des, you're going to put up our USMNT roster here. Yep, there you go. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can see all of them. But in terms of anybody that stuck out for you this weekend, uh, Jimmy, anybody? Well, on the negative side, Fulham yeah. did lose to Coventry. Yeah. And Anthony Robinson did give up a penalty. Oh, and... Yeah, so he'll be – I don't know how good he'll be feeling about himself coming into it, but I'm excited for, for him to continue to lock down the left side for us. That's on the negative side. On the positive side, I want to give a shout-out to Brendan Aronson because FC Red Bull Salzburg have won each of their first 10 games in a single Austrian Bundesliga season for the, only the second time – or for the second time after 2018-2019 season. No other team 
has managed to do that even once. Fantastic. So that's something to take into consideration. And he has become a very pivotal member of this team. And I'm excited to see him continue to grow wearing the Stars and Stripes as well. I love it. Man, he, I like that. Oh, okay. okay, yeah. I'm, I'm going to go with, uh, well, Ricardo Pepe is my guy. So I'm just happy just that his name's on this list. Timo Wea had an assist uh, to Jonathan David, uh, which I thought was great. Uh, Eunice Musa played, Weston McKinney played, which I think is 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 really important. Busio, I think, is is now starting to challenge for that spot legitimately with his form at club play and not just on quote unquote potential. So I think that's a huge thing. Tyler Adams started again in sort of a a, a midfield hybrid role. So those are the players that I, I'm I'm most excited about getting them back into the national team in terms of form. You know, regular playing. Uh, you know, I would I would love it if there was these guys on the stat sheet every week, like we see when Christian Pulisic is healthy or mm. or Gio Reyna is healthy. I think that brings a little bit more stats and excitement to this team. But overall, seeing players in form and playing well, I think uh, is, is more important to me coming into this group and and seeing where it's going to be or or how they're going to compete uh, for points. As Jimmy said, they need to get a perfect nine points. No, I maybe said seven, but I'll, I'll, I'll attribute a quote of Jimmy saying they need nine points out of this or bust. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, he's not in this roster, but Joe Scally scored his first goal. Glad back. Uh, yeah, uh, what do you think about that? Should Scally have been here in the first place, Jimmy? Heath. Well, Greg Berhalter came out and addressed the Joe Scally hmm. situation. And what said he say? Talked, I wasn't listening. I was, no, really... but he talked to Joe and basically said that, given where Joe is at this particular moment and that he doesn't have experience in these types of games, he's going to lean on the guys that already do have this experience that had already kind of gone through the trenches with the team through the oh, summer. Oh, whatever though, huh? Like <laughs> just, Jack Moore, George Bello, these guys, you know, I'm these guys just, playing in the Bundesliga. That Jimmy. was the argument. That I'm just saying, listen, we're, I, I'm with you. Why, why wouldn't you bring him in? He doesn't have to play, but at least bring him into the group, get him, in, you mm-hmm. know, uh, acclimated to the, the personality and the culture. And then, you can yeah. start to ease him and see how he does in training, even those are going to be pretty light for the most part. But but just see how he does and how he fits in because he, yeah. he knows, you know. You know but yeah, I think it's a big miss, especially because we can call in like 75 people right now. You know what it feels yeah, a little exactly. bit? It feels a little bit like like there is a little cohesion to this group. I think not changing too much because you certainly want to bring in most of these guys. I don't know if they could have brought in a 28. That seems like you probably could have. Why not bring in 40 right, if you can? Right, right. Um, that seemed a little bit odd. It also seems like one of those things that reminds me a little bit of the Matthew Hoppy situation where no one had ever heard of Matthew Hoppy till he scored a hat trick. That's right. Right. He he was just he was spending That's a lot right. of time with the reserve team. And then all of a sudden, boom, he's on the he's on the scene. He's got a hat trick and now he's starting every game and we're trying to get him to Barcelona. Right. Yeah. Um, at that point. And I think Joe Scally is is putting together actually a good run of form. He's a he's a right footed player. He's been playing a lot of left back for the team, gets his first goal. It was an interesting uh, goal, uh, a great, a great finish started around the half line, but one of those ones where you're like, okay, I want to see it for a longer run of form. And the difference between him and the other players, again, if you're talking about defenders and Shaq Moore, George Bellow, it's just professional experience period. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those other players at least have more professional games under their belt to know time and place and the feeling of things. I think it is a miss not to bring him in. Hopefully he comes in for the next camp, but that's a great shout, uh, LME on, in terms of, somebody that that uh, may have been robbed of an opportunity to at least be around because you can't get that experience unless you're around it. You don't exactly have to play right. in those games. Exactly you know, right. I go I always go back to Yunus Musa talking about Denver when he wasn't playing in the Nations League. And he was like, man, I was nervous. My hands were on, sweating on the sideline, seeing this atmosphere like that is a huge thing to learn from, even if you're not playing. That's yeah. Right. Uh, by the way, my favorite part was uh, our friend Grant Wall tweeted like Joe Scully, like scored. He should be part of this. I wonder why Brad Halter didn't do it. And everybody was trolling him, going, oh, you should have asked him, you can do it. And it's like, well, he did, he did ask. <laughs> People are so crazy. By the way, 
Uh, that was it. But let's uh, recap some games here. AC Milan ends up winning 3 nothing, Or at least at the moment it is. It's not over, but 3 nothing. So you could say it's pretty much over. Rafael Leal with the third one. It's not over yet. Thank you. But it's 3 nothing to AC Milan. And Julian Alvarez, who, by the way, was scouted heavily by European clubs this summer. He opened the scoring in the Super Clásico. River play one, Boca Juniors. Oh, wait, wait, really quick. I'm a Boca fan. And the fact that Marcus Rojo already got a red card in the 16th minute just completely pisses me off. <laughs> and also, it doesn't make me too surprised. And also going into this one, out of 13 games, Boca has only scored 11 goals. So the fact that we're down early is not a good sign. I don't think we're getting back into it. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's true. So let's uh, let's finish on that note, by the way. God, but... I'm, I'm hot right now. God damn it, Marcus Rojo. <laughs> the guy has his name literally translates to red. He's yeah, a, exactly. A walkie, red card. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> anyway, as I mentioned, we got some Fabrizio Romano content on Monday. But after that, these two will take over to take care of some USMNT business as the World Cup qualifiers continue. In October, before we say goodbye, Heath Pierce, thank you very much, my friend. Thank you. And Marcos Rojo was the best player to ever play at Manchester United. That's what they're missing. I knew you were going to say. <laughs> Jimmy Conrad, thank you, brother. I can't believe anything that he says anymore after a statement like that. Come well, on, Heath. I can't wait till both of you get going this week as well. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Follow the Kegolasso podcast on Twitter, Kegolasso Pod. Subscribe to the Kegolasso page on YouTube and hit the notification bell. And of course, subscribe to Kegolasso wherever you listen to your pods. We will see you next time. Have a great end and rest of your weekend. See you next time. Bye bye.